you have your Bibles, I want you to go to Proverbs 31. And when, when I say that, you know exactly what I'm probably going to talk about. I'm going to talk about the virtuous woman. This is the Wednesday night after Mother's Day. And so I've got some things I want to say to our ladies. However, turnabout is fair play. On the Wednesday night after Father's Day, I'm going to have some things I want to say to our men. And I'll tell you right now, guys, it's going to be a rough ride. <laughs> It'll be a rough ride for, for you and for me because I have to abide by everything that I preach. So, Okay, let's start in the 10th verse. We're just going to read through, the, through what uh, Proverbs 31 says about the virtuous woman, and then we'll begin. Who can find a virtuous woman? Now, let me stop right there. I probably shouldn't do this. Uh, if you, if you go to um, your Hebrew and you click on virtuous, in, in the Hebrew, it's interpreted in the word cow. And, that, and the, you gotta, you got to get back in the back of your throat and get that out there. But it's cow is, is, what, it, is what it comes from. It means... now. What you have in your mind, a virtuous woman in our society today, you think of her as being pure, uh, think of her as being a, a good reputation and all of these things. But in the Hebrew, it means a force to be reckoned with. An army. And I've seen that. I've seen that from time to time. A woman about like an army sometimes. Uh, Valor, valor was another word that was used. Uh, virtue was also naturally used, but it's kind of different from what we, we see her as. And as, you, as we read down through this, you will understand that. Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband does safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant's ships. She bringeth her food from afar. She riseth also while it is yet night and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. She considereth a field and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands, she planteth a vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good. Her candle goeth not out by night. She layeth her hands to the spindle, and her hands hold the distaff. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor. Yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Her husband is known in the gates. When he sitteth among the elders of the land, she maketh fine linen and selleth it and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. Strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in time to come. 
She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household, and eateth not the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praiseth her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates. That's a busy woman. It's a very busy woman, but she is also a very productive woman. Um, so let me, but let me warn you in advance. I may be somewhat controversial. I ask you not to get too mad at me uh, before you hear where I'm going with all of this. So on this Wednesday night after Mother's Day, I want to talk to you about the virtuous woman. The reason I feel it may be controversial is I'm speaking to a mixed congregation of men and women that are products of the definition of a woman as defined by the late 20th and 21st century. What do I, why do I say that? If you have been raised all your life to believe that red is black and black is blue, then every time you see something that is red, you will believe that's what the color black looks like. In the same way that you see something that is really black, but to you, it will appear to be blue because that's what you've been told that color is, it's blue. The late 20th century and the present 21st century woman has been defined as something that does not even resemble the virtuous woman of Scripture. To look at Solomon's writings in, the Pro in Proverbs 31, one would think that Solomon was mistaken in his description of the virtuous woman. Solomon's virtuous woman was submitted to her husband. She was the mother to her home and to her, to her children. That particular bullet point right there in some circles would be offensive to some women. Because she was submitted to her husband and devoted to her children and her home, she was respected highly in her city. She not only took care of her husband, children, and her home, she transacted business and was very astute at doing so. She helped take care of and feed the needy in the community. She was very talented. We read all of this just now. She was very talented with her hands in the making of garments. She was so impressive in her role as a woman that her husband honored her and her children rose up and called her blessed. If we measure the Proverbs 31 woman against the de definition of the 21st century modern day woman, would they stand on equal ground? I think not. I am personally a product of the mid to late 20th century. I've watched the culture shift from, from a woman whose identity came from her husband, her children, her home, to I am woman, hear me roar. I was there when the phrase, I don't need a man, became popular. 
Because of societal indoctrination, it seems in many cases the woman has become the head of the house and the man has been reduced to non-existent or replaceable at the very least. This was never God's intent. That's one of the reasons we're in the mess that we're in today. I'm convinced of that. That's not a, that's not a reflection on women being able to handle responsibility. That's just not God's order. And when you change his order, and I'm getting ahead of myself, when you change his order, you get in trouble. The joke in many homes that comprise of a woman, her husband, and two children, the woman is quick to say, I have three children. And I'm not ignorant to the why of the truth of this joke because in many cases the woman look, almost looks upon her husband like one of her children. This society has downplayed the role of the man to nothing more than a bumbling idiot. And if the family is to survive, then the woman has to take charge. And sadly, that has become the glaring truth of the time we live in. Hell has made sure of that. And please, let me, let me just say this. I understand why some women have had to take the lead in their homes. I understand that. When there are 40 and 50 year old men that are addicted to video games and they won't go to work because they, because they want to sit home and play video games, we got a problem with masculinity then. And I'm not going to, and, 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 I'm, and, and I'm, I'm getting a month ahead of myself. But just to kind of give you a taste of where we're going when we get there. I mean, the, the, the word is clear whenever it says a man that doesn't provide for his family is worse than an infidel. I mean, Scripture is very derogatory on a man that doesn't accept his responsibility. Not for one moment do I think we can change society back to the role model of the virtuous woman. However, as Christians, we can look at what Scripture declares as the role of the man and the woman and build and equip our homes accordingly. Now, tonight is about the woman. Come Wednesday night after Father's Day, it will be about the man. For the next little bit, let's look at how Scripture defines the role of a woman, and it gets, it gets tough from here. But let me just preface all of this and say this is not my words these are scripture I'm going to stay with scripture the apostle Paul in his writing to the Corinthian church said this now I praise you brethren that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you but I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. Now, this is not in my notes, but I want to say this. The head of every man is Christ. And if a man praying with his head covered dishonors his head, 
what that's reflecting back to is he's dishonoring Christ. The woman praying with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head. Okay? Which is her husband. Now you do your research. Do your research. And it will tell you that. The grouping of scripture is very interesting to say the least. What do you think Paul is doing as he writes to the Corinthian church? He's establishing order. That's what's being done here. He is reminding us of God's order for humanity. The tragic story, the tragic story of the Garden of Eden is where we see God revealing to mankind the established order. The man God, to the man, God said, you will earn your bread by the sweat of your brow. In other words, you're going to work for your money. You're going to work for your bread. To the woman, he said, and this is Genesis 3.16, unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception, and in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee. This is why I said in the beginning tonight that I would be controversial. How well does that last line of Genesis 3.16 sound to the modern day woman, especially as defined by the 21st century, to say that her husband shall rule over her? More importantly, let me ask this question. How does that line sound to the Christian women in the 21st century church? Now understand, these are not my words. These, I've read these things out of Scripture. There's a purpose, so don't get defensive yet. You will understand more here in just a moment. Not for all of you, now for all of you women that possibly are getting a little uncomfortable, <laughs> with me for this teaching tonight remember remember God wrote it down he established the order and there was a reason for the order and that's where we're going so while I have you on guard let me get just a little more controversial if that wasn't enough already same chapter as we started with 1 Corinthians 11 this is our higher chapter some of you women wouldn't touch your hair. You wouldn't dye it. You wouldn't wash the gray out of it. You wouldn't snip it, cut it. You wouldn't do it because of Corinthians 11. But here what Corinthians 11, it doesn't just talk about hair. It says, For a man indeed ought not to cover his head for as much as he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. Okay. It's getting uncomfortable in here. It's bouncing back. I, so do I sound like a male chauvinist yet? Uh, <laughs> Remember, these are not my words. They are scripture. So if this is not strong enough, now let's look at Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, beginning to verse 22. 
Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husband as unto the Lord. Now, that, that phrase right there wouldn't be so bad if it just stopped where that comma is. Wives, submit yourself unto your own husbands. But when you add that as unto the Lord, that compounds the submission. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, and he is Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, for a little retribution for you ladies, what does the next verse say? Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And there will be plenty more verses like this on Wednesday night after Father's Day. So look out, men. Sister Tenney began Sunday with this thought, and I thought, she is going to walk all over my Wednesday night message. I'm not going to have any, I'm going to have to look for something totally different. But from the Garden of Eden to Jesus' ministry, women were treated like nothing more than property. Now that's, that's easy to see in Scripture. While Scripture was not downplaying woman, hell and man took God's order and devalued woman. Let me explain myself there. There is nothing in the law that degrades and devalues a woman. However, because of the things that are written in the law, the things that, was, the things that were written in God's order in Genesis 3, man in his propensity to conquer, I guess you would say, along with hell's agenda began the devaluation of a woman. And that's what took place up until the beginning of Jesus' ministry. If you look back at Genesis 3.16 where God said to Eve and womankind, thy desire shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee. God was not saying to Eve, you are less valuable. He did not, that was not the intent behind what he was saying. All God was doing was defining roles and establishing order. He had already talked to Satan and he'd already talked to the man before he ever got to Eve. And since the devil was there in the garden, as God is revealing to Adam and Eve their distinct roles in life, he listens in and he devises a plan to pit man against woman and woman against man. And it has taken him 6,000 years to get here, to where we are now. There was never a question of our importance in our distinct roles. We were meant, listen to me, we were meant to complement each other. Let's go back to the Apostle Paul's writing to see the to the Corinthian church. And we're going back to 1 Corinthians 11. And we're going down to the 11th verse, and it says, Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, 
neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. And in other words, we need each other. That's what we need. Now, this is that same chapter that has been, you know, the head of every man is Christ. The head of every woman is man. I'm, and, and all of the things that I've already said, but we get down to this part, and basically the Apostle Paul is saying, we need each other. One's not any greater than the other. That's not the point. The, there's, not, there's not a value issue here. It has never been about who is in charge or who is the most valuable. We, man and woman, are under the authority of God. Before we get too exalted on ourselves as men, let's remember we're under the authority of God. But we have our distinct roles to play in life. It was Jesus, as he began his earthly ministry, that began to put value on women. Now you can go back and go through the Gospels and you can find in numerous places, Mary Magdalene was part of it, Lazarus's sisters, Martha, Mary, the, all, all, the, there were, and then as Sister Tenney so eloquently stated Sunday, Jesus submitted himself to a 15, possibly a 15-year-old girl. That's what history says. Mary probably was 15 when she gave birth to Jesus. He submitted himself to a teenager. God, the one that spoke everything into existence, submitted himself to a woman. Now, if I would take you to Ephesians 5 and back up a couple of verses from where I began reading, where I said, wives, submit yourselves to your husband, you will find the verse that says, submit yourselves one to the other. Okay? That's in there. This is all scripture. So it was Jesus that put value on women. Now, there are some wonderful love stories in the Old Testament. Look at the Song of Solomon. That's what it's about. However, for, for the most part, women were property, and Scripture does not hide that particular fact about the Old Testament. However, Jesus began to change the imagery that existed up until that time. And as you can see in Ephesians 5, Jesus compares the woman to the likeness of the church. Now, that's a pretty important role. Jesus is comparing her and giving her that image that she fulfills the role of the church. 1 Corinthians 11 showed the man to be the image of Christ, and so did Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, though, took the church imagery and the Christ imagery just a little further, and he called it unconditional love. That's where we are as men. We're supposed to build that unconditional love factor that, that, woman, that the woman th thrives in. No one wants to be considered subservient. And I don't think God ever intended us to think in those terms. And I guess what's prompting all of this tonight is the things that we, we see in media and we see in our society. And that's, why, that's what I'm pushing back against tonight. 
God simply created order after the manner of creation. He he wasn't intended to put woman down and raise man up and and none of that, that. That was not the intent. It was just order. Anything with two heads is a freak. Always remember that. Something, someone has to be responsible and someone has to be in charge. God simply created order after the manner of creation. He didn't love man more than he loved woman. They were both important. They both had distinctive roles to fulfill. It is society's definition of the roles that have created controversy. But it was hell's intention from the beginning to create this controversy. Let's remember that. Okay? This has resulted in mankind, which is God's prized creation, a redefining of the roles that we carry. Mankind has tried to redefine the roles. You can call it women's lib. You can call it whatever you want to call. That was a popular term that began to surface in the 70s, women's lib. And that was, that's all fine and, fine and good, but it was out of that that we began to try to redefine the roles. And that's why we are where we are in this particular hour. Because when you start messing with, the, with God's order, you get some strange stuff. God has order for a reason, and sometimes we may not know all of his reasons, but he has order, and it's best for us to leave his order alone because whoever thought we would see tampons in men's restrooms? We laugh about it, but it... It's, it's quickly spreading across the nation. It's being demanded. It's being demanded. Unisex restrooms. I'm sorry. I go in there and find a woman. I'm turning around and coming out. I don't care how bad I got to go. I'm just... Men in dresses. Somebody in the president's... In, one of the over one of the departments up there is a, it's a squirrel if I ever saw one. Let me just say it like that. <laughs> I know I just got kicked off of Facebook. I felt it. <laughs> See, I, I don't sound very 21st century. I realize that. Women taking hormone therapy to grow beards and to be more masculine and manly. Men taking hormones to be more feminine, to be like a woman. A a society that would allow a 12-year-old to decide whether he or she wants a sex change operation. And then on top of that, a doctor that would actually do it. The new classification, birthing parent, is totally laughable. As a matter of fact, we ought to laugh before we cry. Because that's where we are. That's where we are. I think I might have already told this. I don't know. I've shared it. But up in Indiana, 
one of the one of the churches up there, our churches has started a school because in that particular school district, they put litter boxes in the restrooms of the public school for the children that considered themselves furries. And I'm not talking about something that's happening in some place in Europe or Africa or Russia or China. I'm talking about the United States. And you can go to jail in Canada for not addressing somebody by their preferred pronoun. Our men that was in men's conference heard that. When you start messing with God's order, you start getting all kinds of crazy things. Okay? I'm not here tonight trying to elevate the position of a man. And I'm not trying to put women under our feet. That's what became a popular phraseology, if you would, in the 70s as women's lib began to cry. It was because men were wanting to keep women suppressed. No. It has nothing to do with it. You wait till I get to the Wednesday night after men's, after Father's Day and you'll realize that Here's my point in all this tonight. God, I feel the Holy Ghost. Whether you do or not, I feel the Holy Ghost. Mm. God establishes roles and he establishes an order of responsibility. Man was meant to protect and to provide. Woman was meant to walk beside her man and to facilitate the growth of the family. Man was meant to build an atmosphere in the family for love to flourish in, and woman was meant to nurture that love in her family. We must have each other. We must. We must. However, we must be careful that we don't fall into the trap of the 21st century definition of a woman or her role. God's, God hasn't changed his mind at all. His plan is still one woman and one man together for a lifetime in marriage. That's still his plan. There was a survey done of several thousand men and women. And when the survey was finished, the number one need of a man was respect. Now, many would think that that number one need is sex. That's not true. The number one need for a man was respect. The number one need of a woman was security. And this is out of thousands of people, men and women, that were, that were surveyed. Now, go back to Genesis 3 where God established the roles of man and woman. And what do you find? Adam was the protector. He was the provider, and he was the giver of unconditional love. Therefore, Eve felt secure in her role as Adam's wife and the mother of their children. Eve, on the other hand, had great respect for Adam because she did feel secure, and she knew she was loved, 
and she was cherished. Each of us find our value in life through our distinct roles as man and woman, husband and wife. The virtuous woman of Proverbs 31 is a pretty incredible woman. She establishes, she establishes the mark of excellence that woman is to live to. Ladies, be careful of society's definition of who you should be. God gave you a role model in the virtuous woman, Proverbs 31. As God began to give all of this to me, and I, and I began to, I began to tie this to this and, and fit it all together. I thought, God, this is this is hard to teach to this generation because from the oldest person in here now, this has been going on long enough that from the oldest person in here, we have been indoctrinated by this society's definition. I remember black and white television. And in black and white television days, the man was the hero of the family. But somewhere in the 60s, that began to change. And by the time we got to the 70s, man was the bumbling idiot on TV. Um, the TV shows were, were written to downplay. Looking back now, I can see that. But stop and, and, and look at where we are right now. Look at what Disney's doing. Y'all, there is a very small percentage of the population of America that subscribes to the alternate lifestyle and the things that are coming out of all that. However, it's that very vocal, silent, or that very vocal minority that's pushing the agenda. And they're indoctrinating. Now you think about how we, how some of you ladies kind of, because of your own situations in life, you kind of put, put a wall up, because I felt a wall every now and then while I was speaking tonight. It's because we've been indoctrinated. Can you, if the Lord doesn't come soon, can you imagine? I heard a baby crying a while ago back there. Can you imagine when that child gets to be 30 and 40 years old, what they will think about alternate lifestyles and We've got to protect the roles. And it's time for the Christians, it's time for us to get back to that place of realizing what's important. I almost wish this Sunday was Father's Day and I could come back next Wednesday night and, 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 and hit the men with, with theirs. Because we both have to walk in our roles. And our roles are not subservient to one another. Our, ro our roles are equal with one another. We must hold 
fast to the teachings of this word and live in accordance to it. Anything other than that, we will be held accountable for. I, uh, and I've got just a few minutes. I thank God for my wife. I, um, I can truly say we have a marriage that was made in heaven. I grew up believing. I grew up believing, and I contribute this to my mother's teaching. So let's go back to the roles again. My mother taught me that God has someone, especially for me, Now, I was, I was not the best little boy. I was not the best teenager. In fact, Donna really didn't want to have anything to do with me because I had a reputation. And I didn't want to do anything with her because she had a reputation. Miss Goody Two-Shoes. But God knows how to put us together. And you've heard me tell it. The night I proposed to her, it was, I, I hadn't even planned it. I mean, I'm telling her good night at the door. How romantic is that? And all of a sudden, these words are coming out of my mouth, and I'm looking around to, who's saying this? No, I wasn't looking around. I was, I was grabbing them words. As as they were already out there. And I told her, I said, don't answer me. Don't answer me. I had a reason. Don't answer me. We're going to pray and fast about this. I didn't have to pray, pray and fast. Because you heard me tell it. I got in my car, pulled out of the driveway. And the tears were streaming down my face so hard I could barely see the road. Because I knew for the first time in my life I had made the right decision. It was the right thing to do. It was God's plan for my life. So I didn't have to wait, and neither did she, because this was on a Sunday night, and we didn't go to, to the next Sunday before we... By Friday, we were in the jewelry store looking at rings. rest is history have we have, have we always just gotten along and we've never had a no no we really never have never had a fight 46 years was that how long we've been married 46 July will be 46 we've never had a fight now we've had moments of intense fellowship but we've not had a we've not, we've not We've not had a fight. And there's been those moments to where that I looked at her and I said, okay, stop. This is one of those places where we agree to disagree. Because you're never going to see it my way and I'm not going to see it yours. 
course, now we've lived long enough now from that that she realizes I am right. I was right in that situation. And if you don't believe me, just ask me. I will tell you. Don't ask her. We were fitly joined together. She is strong in areas that I'm very weak in. Donna is very, she's very good at following up with people and checking on those that are, have been sick and those that, I'm not that good with that. Donna loves to do nursing homes and I'm not very good at that. But those things that she's weak in, that's where my strengths are. I've already asked her to do, to preach for us on Father's Day. And she says, I'll see. (laughs) Because that's not her strength. It's not what she wants to do. But after tonight, she might have some things she wants to say. So we'll just see, you know. uh, We'll just see how it goes. But that's the way it's meant to be. We're not to be alike. I I am to release her to be strong where she's strong. And then I have to be strong where I'm strong. But we complement each other. Then God gave us Keith. And it all went downhill from there. It's just... (laughs) No. Because... Let me just say it like this, and I'm, 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 I'm lifting her up. I never, if Keith, in those first, up to about a year, year and a half, if he could have played with, with Tonka trucks and things like that, I could have played with him. I just didn't know how to deal with that other stuff. I didn't change diapers. I still don't change diapers. Never have changed diapers. And I know, but I, that's not my strength. <laughs> I mean, we complement each other. But here, here's, what, here's what I want to say. At nine months, Keith had his first asthma attack. From then until he was about four and a half years old, about every six to eight weeks, we spent seven days in the hospital. Dr. Honeyman was just he was precious I don't know if any of y'all knew Dr. Honeyman but he was wonderful Dr. Honeyman put us in the hospital and that was back before it was like it is now because of his age he had to be in a baby bed under an oxygen tent and she stayed in that baby bed under an oxygen 
I couldn't fold up. I couldn't fold up that small. And there was a couple of there was a couple of ladies that would come, and one of them being Miss Hinton, which was her boss, she would get up in there with Keith, and, and they would play toys, and you know we couldn't have anything create a spark in there. Y'all know about oxygen and all that, so. But that's 24 hours a day she would stay under that oxygen tent. That's why he's spoiled like he is today. I couldn't ever get that out of him after that. My point is, guys, the woman sitting beside you compliments you. And ladies, man beside you compliments you and it's time for us to all back up and look at our roles and walk in those roles and be faithful to those roles and do them with all of our heart to the best of our ability amen why don't you stand with me God bless you for being in the house of the Lord tonight I know that they're getting ready to start turning kids loose, so you need to be where you can go get yours. And, and I, I trust you'll let me come back Sunday and be in church with you. Uh, but I love you. Let's lift our hands together. Father, we give you thanks and we give you praise tonight for all that you mean to us, for all that you've done for us, for everything. So, Father, I just give praise and give honor and give glory to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Bless us, keep us in your love and your care. Bring us back together at your appointed time. And we give you thanks and we give you praise in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, 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 amen. Hallelujah.